Hey guys, it's your host Julian. This week is part one of a two-parter with veteran storyboard artist Paul Scarlatta. In this episode, we're talking all things King of the Hill, and next week we're going to talk all things regular show. If you haven't yet, you should check us out on Patreon. We're offering three tiers with a lot of fun perks. Some of those perks included in the three tiers are a special shout out to the patrons, question priority, early and ad-free access to the audio and video chats, voting on upcoming retrospectives, and so much more. We will be releasing our first Patreon-exclusive video next week. Now, let's get on to my chat with the great Paul Scarlatta. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's My Head Podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I'm joined by Paul. Paul, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Julian? Ah, oh, fantastic, man. Um, favorite time of the day. It's uh, it's my it's a recording day, and we're talking King of the Hill, ladies and gentlemen. Paul here was a big factor on King of the Hill. Uh, so first things first, for the fans that might not know, what do you want to start with? You want to start your first day at Film Roman, or you want to start first day on King of the Hill? Where do you want to go from here? Uh, they're they're one and the same, so I can I can start there. Beautiful. Um, yeah, uh, King of the Hill was my first job out of college. Um, mm-hmm. I, I got out of college in 95 and um, worked part-time jobs for like six months. Um, when I got out of college, I was like, well, I want to do comics. I want to do animation. Uh, animation seems like a little bit more of a sure thing. So I was like, well, you know, it seems like it's all out in L.A. So I packed my car up and go out to L.A. Um, took me about three months to, to get this job. But on my first day, um, I wasn't technically, I mean, it, I was hired by Film Roman because they were the, the, the animation production company. Um, but we weren't at the Film Roman location in North Hollywood. We started out for the first, I want to say, month or two uh, where the writers and producers were in Century City, uh, mm-hmm. at, at the Watt Plaza Towers. And um, my first day, I remember, you know, just being in awe of being in this, you know, professional environment. and, and um, uh, we had talked earlier about, uh, you know, uh, I'd been hired by Mike Wolf, and Mike, uh, you know, quoted me a salary that just blew my mind, you know, because, uh, you know, by today's standards, it's, you know, it's it's not not any great shakes, but back then, you know, for a kid who'd been making, you know, close to minimum wage, part-time jobs and shit, you know, I was like, oh, yes, of course, I'm going <laughs> to accept that money. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of settling in, and, and I got to meet a uh, you know, there was only like five guys hired at the time. Uh, I want to say Phil Hayes was one of them. He was a background guy um, who's currently, I want to say, on Bob's, uh, Wes Archer. Um, I don't know if John Rice was there. I think that he might have come a little bit later. Um, but yeah, just a, just a, a few guys. And uh, I got to meet um, Greg Daniels right away. And I didn't mm-hmm. know really who he was, uh, but he was just super kind and super nice and super welcoming. And uh, just a, just a really, really great guy. And um, so I, I remember uh, that and, you know, try not to be overwhelmed. And the other thing that I distinctly remember is hearing cackling laughter echoing throughout the halls. And it was, uh, I later found out it was uh, Pamela, and I can't remember what her current Adeline. name was. Adeline, yeah. Um, yeah. She just would be laughing and and you know the, just half the day you just hear you know these brays of cackling laughter echoing throughout the halls um so that was kind of you know something that stood out to me you know uh as a, as a welcome to to uh to my time on king of the hill um but uh but yeah shortly thereafter uh alan jacobson got hired like i want to say you know maybe a couple weeks later and we shared an office um and yeah we were there for about maybe two months i want to say before we, uh, you know, uh, picked everything up and moved to the uh, North Hollywood location, which is where we were 
for the for the rest of its run. Now, I got to imagine it's uh, it's probably a good sign. You walk in your first day, um, new smells, new sights, new people, you know, new new routines, new schedules. But uh, I got to imagine walking in there and hearing entire laughter from everybody that's working there. It's got to be a great step in the right direction type of thing, man. Um, when when it's such a small crew like that, and you said there's only five of you guys, you know, we were talking right before we hit record that, you know, you were kind of paired with Wes right off the bat. Um, right. But before we get to Wes, man, I want to put a pin in that one just a second because, you know, you said you met Greg, you know, pretty quickly right away. He's a really nice guy. Um, you know, it's been said so many times, whether if you're watching a documentary, if you hear Mike talk about Mike Judge, ladies and gentlemen, talk about it, and anybody that's worked on it or had any kind of, uh, been in the same gravitational pull that Greg's in. They would say Greg was the heart and soul to that show. He he built the world like he anything that you loved. Like I said, Mike created the show, but anything that you just fell in love with, chances are Greg had a hand in it, man. So, what were some of those things that you might have learned from Greg that first day, or that that whole tenure you spent at King of the Hill, man? Does anything stick out as far as I, I learned this from Greg, or I loved hearing this from Greg? Um, to be honest with you, I only had a handful of interactions with him and, and mm -hmm. it was mainly, like I said, before I, I really knew who he was, uh, like he would, he would drop by my office or we'd, we'd cross paths in the halls or something like that. And, um, he was just always very nice and very welcoming. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, later on, uh, I ended up having some, some meetings with him and, um, I only met Mike Judge a couple of times. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I got hired, uh, of course, I was familiar with Beavis and Butthead, both from uh, um, the show as well as the uh, the shorts that were on, like the Spike and Mike, Sick and Twisted yeah. uh, animation stuff. Um, so when I got hired, I was like, "Oh, a Mike Judge show!" You know that? Yeah, of course yeah. I want to work on that show. Um, and I knew very little about about Greg, and um, you know, both from personal experience, you know, with what a, what a kind you know guy he is, uh, came to realize, you know, with. Uh, you know, kind of um, from a step removed, because like I said, I didn't really have much direct uh, interaction with him uh, with my experience on, on the show later on. And then you know, the shows that he was involved with afterwards, what a creative force he he was uh, mm -hmm. at King of the Hill that I kind of didn't realize at the time. Um, because once we, you know, we left um, the Century City office and went to, to film Roman unless you were a director who went down and, you know, had meetings or, or animatic reviews or that sort of thing, you were just completely removed from that stuff. Yeah. And you would, uh, as an employee, uh, you would just get a script, you get an audio track, and that's about as much um, interaction as you got. So it was very, um, uh, you know, a couple steps removed. Um, but uh, so, so it's hard for me to say that I really learned something directly from, from Greg. Mm -hmm. No, I probably did from by osmosis just, yeah, having worked uh, on so many episodes and uh, worked on that show for uh, seven or eight seasons or whatever it was, but uh, um, and the same with Mike. Uh, you know, I had a couple meetings with him, and he was mostly uh, working out of uh, Texas, mm -hmm. and uh, like he more often than not when he was in a, a meeting or or uh, it would be through um, you know a speaker on the table, and he would be calling from <laughs> his studio and and like Bosley. <laughs> yeah um yeah before the age of zoom and and uh yeah. and everything. uh and, but um the couple meetings that i had with him uh were really cool because you know he was a you know a legend already in animation yeah. um i was a big fan of of his and and the work that he had done 
And he was very, he was also very kind, very self-deprecating and very complimentary of us. Like, you know, this is, this is me, a kid right out of school is my first job. Um, and it was me and maybe three or four other people at the time. Uh, shortly after I got hired, uh, three people from UCLA got hired. Um, and we're all in this meeting and we're all kids right out of school. And he's like, you know, you guys are talented. You guys can draw. You're going to take my shitty drawings and and <laughs> you guys are the artists here. And I was like, oh, man, you're, you're a legend, Mike. You know? Like, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I think you're 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 praising me too highly. You're praising us too highly. But um, you know, so they were they were both really kind, you know, welcoming guys, and were mm -hmm. really, you know, uh, like you know, we're grateful that you're here. We're grateful for your talent, and we, we you know, we're happy to have you on the team. And you know, um, but uh, that was really it as far as interactions that I had with those two guys. Um, it was just just a couple of times at the at the very beginning of the of my run there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, well, there is a there is a guy that you spent quite some time with. Like I said, you were paired up, you know, pretty pretty quickly, pretty instantly. Uh, was Wes Archer, man, and this is another yeah. guy that through every talk I've had with, uh, you know, five or six of you guys that have worked on King of the Hill so far, they never, 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 never. And I'm not saying sell him short in the wrong way. It's like they can yeah. never state enough just how important his vision was. Like he saw things differently. Like I've heard so many yeah. great stories about it, man. So, you know, I got to imagine you knew pretty quickly that this guy was special. This guy was, you know, this guy was good. You were in great fucking hands is essentially what I'm getting at, Paul. Um, but what was it like working with Wes in those early days, trying to help build the world of King of the Hill, create these characters and bring them to life? Um, to be honest, that my first interactions with him, uh, were intimidating. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, like I, I knew that he was a super talented guy. I knew that he had worked on Simpsons for, you know, he was one of the founding guys on the Simpsons. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and he had also done a, a, a short that had appeared on those Spike and Mike, um, festival, uh, Rad Boy and something or other. I, I can't remember what it was, but it was something that I had seen and, and knew about. Um, so he was already legendary, you know, for me coming into it and, yeah. him, you know, running the show. And, um, he's also, uh, a, a man of few words, you know, like mm -hmm. he's, he, he, he thinks about what he's, what he's saying. And, and, you know, he, like you said, he, he envisioned that world, you know, uh, it, it, uh, just, just a, a fantastic creative talent. So, um, initially, um, I was intimidated by him. You know, I like I was I was like, wow, this is, you know, I'm working with this, this this amazing guy, you know, and, and uh, you know, he doesn't say a lot. So am I am I am I good? Am I not good? You know, so um, I, I had a lot of respect for him and still have a lot of respect for him. Um, and uh, it was just it was a fantastic uh, introduction to me uh, into the world of animation and um, being able to work with with him and, and a guy who was so talented and who had such a clear vision of what that world was going to be. Uh, both emotionally, but as well as, you know, visually, you know, he, mm -hmm. he, you know, helped to establish the look of the show and the, um, which, which evolved a little bit. I'm sure you know uh, how it, it evolved from season one to season two and three, you know, uh, when the style kind of became a little bit more cemented in the beginning, it was a little bit more rough and a little bit more yeah. Beavis and Butthead ish. And then it kind of uh, cleaned up a little bit. Um, but he was a, was a core engine mm -hmm. creatively for, for, the animation side of things for sure and um and like i said he, he, he would think differently so uh, you know you go in and into his office and ask him questions or something 
and he would think about it and you know just come up with it with a clear concise answer because he, he knew he he knew it you know had a clear vision of what the world was and yeah and what needed to to, to be represented visually um but uh but yeah he was he was uh, an immense talent and and i was very fortunate to be able to start my career with him talk about a foundation man if you need a foundation for anything that's going to be solid you got mike greg and wes yeah. God damn. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's that's Hall of Famers right there when you look at animation. Any way you cut it, man, Hall of Famers right there. So uh very, yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's it just goes and shows the testament of just the care and love that you guys put into this show. I mean, it starts at the top, rolls downhill, you know. Yes, for both sure. good and bad. Um, you know, but this show. I've told you the fans know how important this show was to me. Um, when you start working on this show, did you know, you know, being a kid right out of college that this is going to be, oh, this is a, not just Micah Judge show. It's not just a Greg Danish show. It's just not Wes Archer. Did you know just how important or how special this show was when you first started working on it? Or did it take some time to kind of open your eyes a little bit? It, it honestly did take a little bit of time to open my eyes to it. I mean, I, I had faith that it would be, um something cool and uh, you know yeah. because of the the you know the um the pedigree of the people behind behind it uh so i had an idea you know like oh it's a mike judge show uh you know greg seems like he's he's a competent guy of course wes archer has his history on the simpsons and uh, and is super talented so i i had an idea um but i i didn't realize you know how uh loved and influential it would end up being you know, mm -hmm. like how how much it resonated with people and how much, you know, people later on down the road said, oh, King of the Hill, you know, one of my favorite shows of all time. And, you know, uh, so influential to me or, or like someone like you, you know, said it, it had so much meaning for them. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't initially um, appreciate the impact that it would have. And um, I mean, the, one of the early uh, realizations that I had and it was just a glimmer of of kind of figuring out what the the cultural impact would would end up being. Uh, the first time after I the, the the first Christmas that I flew home mm -hmm. uh, after starting working on the like I, I started working on the show in like April of 1996, and so that first Christmas I remember being in the airport and sitting at the 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 bar and having a burger or something you know uh, uh, waiting for my flight and looking at the TV above the above the bar. And a commercial for King of the Hill comes on. Oh, and I'm that's like, so cool. Holy shit. <laughs> it's real. It's real. It's a real thing. You know, this it's yeah. you know, uh, all the stuff that we've been doing behind the scenes for all this time, you know, is finally, you know, coming out into the world. And it was it was a super exciting moment for me. And um I I just you know, from there, you know, just people watching it and and like I said, you know, coming coming back later on and saying how influential it was for them. It was it was it was pretty special. Oh, I got to imagine, man. Like I said, I uh, I caught this one probably around season three, four. Um, you know, I'm I'll say like 10, 11, somewhere around there. I, I I can't remember the first episode I watched, but I remember the I remember the first episode I ever watched. I knew that I was never going to not see this show again. Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned it. So the fans, I apologize. You know, the whole before the animation domination block, man, it was generally six o'clock at like the height of The Simpsons, King of the Hill. 
you know, you would see Family Guy in there, Bob's Burgers, American Dad, you know, uh, there would be a, a myriad of different shows, you know, Futurama was in there for a little while as well, um, where it was six o'clock generally was when the new episode of King of the Hill hit. And then 530, you know, they would usually play the episode if it was during the new season, they would play the episode the previous week that was, you know, the previous episode. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'd catch that one. And then, you know, so the first time watching the series. You know, I watched it. I watched it twice because I was watching the same episode. You know, each week I was watching. You know, one episode twice a week is what I was getting at. Um, yeah. You know, so I was very well versed in just the world, the mythology, of these characters. It was just there was something so real about this show, and I draw this correlation so many times when I have you folks on. You know, I, I told you before. You know, King of the Hill and and Hey Arnold really helped shape my moral compass, man. It showed me how to be a good person. You know, when I was watching Hey Arnold, I was watching that one as a younger kid. I still watch that show now, but it showed me how to be a good person at that kid that kid age that that kid level, right? And then watching King of the Hill. That showed me the type of person I wanted to be when I got older, right? So there were sensibilities that I would take from every character from the show. You know, I always saw myself more as a Bobby. I was a fat little chubby kid that tried to use humor as much as possible. I was very awkward like everybody is growing up in those teenage years, you know, but I felt like that was the character. You know, I love Dale. I love the conspiracy theories, even though I'm not too much into them. You know, the only one I really believe in is the JFK one. And I don't even think yeah. that's a conspiracy theory. I think it's pretty, you know, it's pretty, I think everybody agrees on that one. We know who did it. Um, <laughs> you know, we know where the smoking guns at on that one, you know, uh, you know, so, and you got boom Hauer and you got all these idiosyncrasies from these characters and you start pulling from them. And like I said, they, they helped mold and shift me. And then whenever I would think about something you know i would take these aspects that i learned from these shows growing up and i would put them into my everyday life you know so these two shows why i talk about these two shows so much is because not one episode ever talked down to anybody obviously king of the hill was not made for a fucking 11 year old at that time right it's a way different time than it is or than it was then than it is now for kids you know sure. but it, it, there was just something that was so special about that show. You know, you can't quite put your finger on it entirely. You know, the character seemed real. I told this to Alan Jacob, uh, Alan Jacobson, you know, it was like, if this was, if I could look at this and I didn't know, I close my eyes and don't know it's animation. I would think this is like everyday life for things, you know? So it was just, it was something that, like I said, seemed so real to me. And like I said, I would take, things from this show and I would incorporate them into my everyday life. You know, the problem solving, issues with my friends. It talked about real world shit. And I didn't know it was talking about real world shit. So you guys pregame me, you guys trained me way before I knew I was getting trained on how to deal with certain things, man. So like I said, this show was special to so many of us. Um wow. you know, with uh with how influential this show was, and you said you didn't really know you know, during that time with the first, you know, first couple seasons you worked on and just how important this show was going to be to everybody. Do you remember a moment that that switch might have flipped where you're like, oh, shit, we're, we're doing something. You're obviously seeing the show for commercials in an airport when you're going back home. But do you remember a moment, an episode or an interaction you might have had with somebody that was watching the show? Where you're like, oh, shit, this is connecting with people. Uh, I think the first time that I really realized that things, you know, the show was connecting with people was a, a visit back home. Uh, and I was having, I think I was having dinner with, uh, with some old, uh, high school friends mm -hmm. and they started talking about the show and how they, you know, they, they were watching it and, and how cool it was that I was working on it. And, um, I think before we, we started talking, I, I, I had mentioned that, um, I didn't realize the wider, not just, not just the wider impact of the show itself, but the, the, the work that I do, uh, mm -hmm. I didn't really have 
as much of a sense of. And when I was talking with them, you know, uh, uh, you know, similar to to how I I felt when I saw the the commercial at the airport. But this was, you know, talking with people about it, you know, who who are watching it and like, oh wow, the the work that we do has an impact on people and, and it means something to people and and mm. they enjoy it and you know um you know me in my cubicle you know trying on my light table all day <laughs> every day is making its way out into the world and influencing people and and mm -hmm. um and um i liked that the show was smart i, I liked that it didn't talk down to people i liked that it, it skewed kind of adult i i liked that it had heart and a, and a moral center and um talking with my high school friends you know kind of was my first real um, indication, uh, you know, because I, I grew up uh, outside Boston. So, you know, I was visiting my friends in, in Boston, you know, while I was working in LA. So I was on the other side of the country. I'm like, wow, you know, people on the other side of the country are watching this, you know, it's, and it's, and also, you know, it, it takes place in Texas. So I was wondering, you know, oh, you know, would, would you know, the kind of Southern thing, is that going to translate to, you know, to people elsewhere in the country? And, and it, it it had so much heart, it was so well written, and and came from such a universal place that um, that it did end up having this broader impact, and it's you mm. know, and and so that was kind of when I first started realizing the the, the kind of human connection that the the writing and the and the you know, and and you were you were saying about um, how how it influenced you. I, I sometimes feel like animated shows can be a little bit more real even than live action shows like i think you yeah you can kind of get away with talking with certain topics or talking a certain way about certain topics that are is more real and that you can't really do always in, in in live action and i felt that way about king of the hill and a bunch of other shows that i've that i've worked on um but uh but but yeah it was it was really cool to see the fact that you know people liked what we were doing and now it, it felt really good <laughs> still feels really good no, I, I got to imagine, man. Uh, sidebar for just a second. What part of uh, Boston are you from? My wife's family is all from Middleborough. Okay. I'm from a town called Westboro, which is about 40 minutes due west of Boston. Yeah. Middleborough. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly where it is. I mean, that's a good question. I've only been up there once. That was the, <clears throat> it was literally, I think, three weeks or four weeks before the whole world shut down. Uh, oh, we wow. went up. Yeah. We <laughs> went up there and, uh, it was it was really cool because I got to what is the name of that sub place? It's it's like a chain place, but but they said it was really good. They took me there. I had a and steak and cheese sent. Yes, that was the place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I went there, and then they took me to Mount Plymouth, and then nice. I had. Um, I tried getting into the clam bellies and stuff like that. They got clam strips and shit, and mm. I love seafood. There's not one. That's not that's going to be a lie. I was going to say there's not one thing that I don't like from the sea. Uh, scallops. It's just. They're so inconsistent. I work in the restaurant industry, so it's it's very. I don't want to. I work in a really good restaurant, um, you know. So we have we're farm to table for a lot of our shit. Um, you know, we're getting we're sourcing the best protein we possibly can. A lot of our stuff from protein and produce are coming from farms. Um, so I don't want to say it's like, my, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not bougie. I promise you, I'm not stuck up. Denny's is still one of my favorite restaurants in the world. I love going there because I love breakfast food, man. Um, so it's not like I, I just eat, you know, high dollar food, but it's just like when I go and I get scallops, man, uh, for the first 15 years of my life, every time I would order scallops, they'd either be stone cold raw or they would be like chewing on leather. I never found somebody until the chef I worked for that, uh, that like 
cooked them perfectly. Um, you know, I still don't, I still don't really care for them because I've just got so many bad memories of eating shitty ones, you know? So, but, um, you know, they took me up there and we're out there and then I got my first uh, lobster roll out there and I'm, I'm not a huge lobster guy. I love crab way more. I'm from Florida. I'm from the South. So, you know, crab is like supreme down here for me. And it's just like a Dungeness crab or a, uh, you know, not a blue crab, a snow crab are f- perfect. And, uh, they took me there. They got me these lobster rolls, which were fantastic. Uh, you know, put them on a Frankfurter roll and everything like that, but they give me these clam belly or clam strips, excuse me, with bellies. Yeah. And then the first one I throw back nothing but sand i'm like god damn it this is disgusting so like oh man it happens every once in a while they won't all be like that i was like all right well let me get another one so i do it again same thing sand and i'm like i think they're fucking with me i think my father-in-law's messing with me so he's like all right here he's like try it from team you know try it from uh try it from my uh my wife so i was like grab a piece i throw it in there and i'm like oh son of a bitch these are all full of sand i'm like i'm not eating these anymore so i love clams (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just didn't like the I didn't like the clam strips with the bellies and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, man, it was a beautiful city. It was cold as shit when we went up there. Not the coldest I've ever been. I went to Great Lakes for Navy boot camp in February. When I got off oh, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm from Florida, right? I didn't have a uh, I didn't know what a winter like a winter jacket for us is like a hoodie and maybe a beanie. Uh, you know, when you need a real winter jacket, I had to borrow my father-in-law's and he had been in Florida for 20 years or 15 years or whatever it was at that point. I can't remember how long, but he'd been in there for some, some, some time. So he hadn't needed a real winter jacket. Um, so I get off, I get off the the plane in Chicago and I've got a windbreaker jacket. That was the winter jacket I had. And then I had jeans that had holes in the knees. Ladies and gentlemen is starting to come back in vogue. So don't judge me. And then I think I was wearing, I think I was just wearing van slip on. So it was canvas shoes. I've never, it, I, I want to say it was like negative 15 or negative 13 with the wind chill factor. I'd oh, never seen snow, never seen snow. And then it was up to my hip and I'm six foot two. So it was <laughs> up to my hip. And I was oh, like, what God. the fuck is going on? I made a huge mistake. It was the coldest I've ever been in my life. But nonetheless, man, yeah. we're talking King of the Hill. We're not talking sad Navy stories. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I figured there's two episodes in particular. <laughs> I said when uh, when you worked on the show that that spoke to you in particular, um, right. those two episodes are Wings of the Dope, ladies and gentlemen, that's Buckley's Angel and Naked Ambition. And that's the one, ladies and gentlemen, where Bobby sees Luann naked um, twice in, in, in a shot. Um, and uh, which one do you want to start with first? You want to start with Buckley's Angel? You want to start with Neck Ambition? Um, why don't we, why don't we start with, uh, Wings of the Dope? Um, All right, man, let's cry. Let's get the crying out of the way first. I like it. Okay, cool, cool. And I think that chronologically, I think Wings of the Dope came before Naked Ambition, yes. if I recall correctly, because, uh, I believe it was a season prior. Yeah, because Wings of the Dope was directed by Cindy Tang, and I'm pretty sure Anthony Leoy was her AD at the time, mm-hmm. and, uh, Anthony directed Naked Ambition. Uh, so he had, he had bumped up, um, by the time I worked on that episode, but yeah, Wings of the Dope, um, I have a lot of those two episodes. I remember quite a bit because I I did a lot of work on them. And Mm -hmm. at the time I was doing, um, character layout, uh, animation, which is like keyframe animation. And, um, I worked quite a bit with, with Cindy and with Anthony, uh, on Wings of the Dope, particularly for the, um, the trampoline stuff so when when buckley's angel appears and he's bouncing on the trampoline and uh Luanne comes out and joins them and they're they're bouncing and he's bouncing slower and she's bouncing like normally yeah uh, and he does a, the flip and they're you know talking back and forth uh i got to do all that stuff and um it was just really memorable 
and a lot of fun. And um, I, I put my heart into it and it was a really heartfelt moment. And um, it, you said you just watched the episode recently, the, um, yeah, that, that song in, in a Northern town. Uh, yep. Gets I wrote that down. That. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it does. <laughs> it does. And, I was... and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were talking earlier about us both watching it recently, and um, I said I was watching it with my son, and when that song came on, and those moment, you know, that moment, Uh I was like, yeah, (laughs) hold back tears, you know, because it's a it's a it's a moving scene, and it's a moving, uh, it's a a great moment in the in the episode, and also all the memories that I had of of working on it, and uh, I I think I may have mentioned to you that um, afterwards, uh, Cindy. And just such a, a sweet gesture um, gave me a sell from that episode um, because at, at the time, at every season, um, I can't remember if it was Film Roman or if the uh, you know one of the overseas uh, animation studios would give them a sell in a background. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the one that she got that year was of Buckley and Luann hovering above the trampoline. And uh, she gifted it to me, and mm-hmm. and it was just such a, a sweet, meaningful gift for me. So that's that's another reason why why the episode stands out for me. I've got it on my wall. I, I think I sent it, sent you a picture. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of great memories about that. And it sounds like it, it, it affected you too. <laughs> man, oh man. Uh, so I haven't cried on this uh, podcast in the last couple of weeks. So I figured. <laughs> Fuck it, we're talking King of the Hill and Death. Let's talk. Uh, we're gonna get on. We're gonna a little deep on this one, ladies and gentlemen. Let me get some. Sure, sure. Swig of some tea real quick. <clears throat> but uh, yeah. So I got some notes on this one. So usually, whenever I got one of you guys coming on, I'll go and watch whatever episodes you guys say meant the most to you, and I'm taking notes, and uh, you know, I'm texting myself so I can remember. Uh, one thing that stuck out before we get into the uh, the sentimental things, and I. I I don't know how I didn't notice this before, but it said written by Johnny Hardwick. And ladies and gentlemen, yeah. Johnny is uh, the voice of Dale Gribble, our favorite conspiracy theorist. Um, and what I did not realize was how much he wrote for this show. Um, you know, whenever I think of and it's I think it was just a fact of me just either not fully watching the credits ever since I started doing this, this podcast, this podcast was born out of watching the credits of one movie in particular. It was the, uh, you know, I'm a huge Ninja Turtles fan. I've got them all over my body. I've got them hanging up all over my wall up here. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's what brought me into pop culture was the Ninja Turtles, man. That first movie, the 1990s live action movie from the Jim Henson productions was Uh, my introduction into, Oh my God, this is, this is, I still hold, I will fight anybody on this one. That first movie is perfect. It is, it is grunge. It is film noir. It is beautifully shot. There is so many scenes in there. It's so beautiful, but I digress. It was just out of me looking up at credits and seeing why don't I know that guy's name? And then Googling that guy's name, finding out he lived or uh, he lived, 45 minutes from where I grew up. I didn't know him. And he was the whole reason that the Ninja Turtles got made because he sees this comic book in Detroit. He goes and he says, his name is Gary Proper, ladies and gentlemen. You've heard the story before. He goes to a comic book store in Detroit. He sees the Ninja Turtles, the first issue. He goes and he goes to all of these studios and he says, this is the next thing. And he got laughed out of every single studio. Nobody, who's going to fucking watch Turtles? Come on, man. 
be serious. He was actually, I believe he was the um, manager or agent. I can't remember which one. It's one and the same. But uh, for the original Gallagher, Gallagher won the uh, the actual twin or the first twin. Um, but he he kept going. He's like, no, this is the next one. This is the next one. So he could get with his partner. He's like, this is the next movie. You know, it took a few years, took like six or four years before anybody would take him serious. And then the 87 cartoon blew up the toys you couldn't get anywhere for Christmas that year. You know, so everybody started saying, we got to do this movie, better do this movie. Find out, like I said, 45 minutes down the street for me when I was growing up. Then I find out he passed away. I just happened to read an article about him. And then I see the the writer that did it for the Daytona Beach News Journal, the New Summer News Journal, whatever it was. I look up his name and he has his phone number there. I'm like, huh, let me just call this guy. That led yeah. to one thing that led me going here, led me to talking to this person. And then eventually I, w- I have this podcast. So it led me, the credits led me to what I'm doing now with you guys, giving you guys your flowers, telling you, thank you for making such a huge part of my life that much better, right? Without these shows, without these movies, my life sucks, man. These things brought so much joy and they continue to bring so much joy, you know? So I don't know why going back to my whole previous point was, I don't know why I didn't just, I just happened to look up this last time watching the series through and I see Johnny on there. I'm like, huh, I wonder if Johnny has a brother and his name is Johnny too. And I just look it up and he's like, no, it's a lot of the stuff. I don't know if, I don't know if his title was uh lead writer or head writer, but I know he fucking last 12 or 13 episodes I've watched. Cause I keep jumping all over the place. He's had like a total of six or seven, of the last couple ones I've watched. I'm like, God damn, this dude wrote a lot. So yeah. knowing what I know about just Dale Gribble and the voice and the life that he breathed into that character, which is phenomenal. He's such a phenomenal character, but to know that this dude, wrote these scripts and was in a writer's room bouncing these ideas off, man. I, I just thought it was, that was the first thing that struck me watching this episode was Johnny Hardwick wrote it. Um, you know, you hit on the song, that song is forever. Every time I hear that song, I close my eyes. I'm seeing Buckley. I'm seeing Luann jump. It's, it's burned in my mind. It's burned. It'll never, it's like one of those core memories. It'll never go away. Um, you know, there was a line in there, uh, that I, I I thought was uh, beautiful, but we'll get to that one because it'll kind of it'll kind of ruin the whole thing. Um, it was the the interaction between Bobby and and Hank at the end of the episode. Um, but what was beautiful about this show, this episode in particular, when I'm a kid, I lose my first dog very young, right? And it wasn't until I saw a movie called All Dogs Go to Heaven, you know, Don Blue Studios, John Pomeroy, Charlie B. Barkin, you know, all of these characters that it made me like, oh, okay, my dog, you know, I don't, I, I don't believe like religion. We can completely just steer clear of this, but I mean, I didn't believe, I still don't believe that there is, you know, whatever it is. I don't, I don't know if it's the traditional thing that everybody says. I'd be ignorant to say, or I'd be very um, brash, very. I can't think of the word I'm trying to use uh, to think that I know what comes after life, right? But I remember seeing this and being okay with my dog passing away i was still very sad but i was very like it felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders like oh he's in a better place right now he's gonna be okay he's no longer here i'm sad that he's no longer here but he's okay then you flash forward a couple years and you guys rip my heart out of my chest again right so i had just lost my granny the one lady that was like always a constant in my life you know she went to a nursing home um, you know, she was married to my grandfather for so many years and then she loses my grandfather. We lose my grandfather. And then she essentially goes crazy because when you're married to somebody for 45, 50 years, you know, and that person is no longer there, you, you tend to deteriorate pretty quickly, you know? So she goes, and then that was, like I said, that was my first real brush with death. And then I see this episode, you know, a couple years later. And then I remember seeing 
you know, you grow loving these characters, Buckley included. He's that dipshit that, you know, just you don't want your daughter to date. But <laughs> he's got his flaws. He's got his perks. You know, he's he's a flawed character, man. He's a great character. He's not black. He's not white. He's very in the middle with a whole bunch of different things. And then, like I said, you see, you know, Luann going through it. And then I look at Luann. And like I said, this is where it brought the emotional attachment into it. She was so distraught, you know, that, that it happened the season prior you know, or earlier in that season, uh, you know, so she went through the fucking ringer with this one. And I, I I look at that and I put the baggage that I think my grandmother would have went through. My granny would have went through with losing my grandfather. And I think, man, I wonder if this is what my granny was feeling. I wonder if she was going through the same shit that Luann was going through. And I start looking at this and it, this is just a 12. So this is a very base knowledge. So flash forward was an adult and you see this and a hundred percent, you lose somebody that was so special to you. And then you have this opportunity to have them back, whether it's psychosomatic or whether it actually happened. Who fucking knows? Who gives a shit? Because if it's real to you, it's real. I don't care what anybody says. If it's real to you, it's real. You see Buckley coming back, ladies and gentlemen, and he's interacting with Luann because Luann's at that period of her life where she doesn't know if she really wants to be a hairdresser. The girls, probably the first uh, you guys created the mean girls before the mean girls created the mean girls. <laughs> Just a bunch of horrible people man treating her like shit telling her oh your boyfriend blew up your hair fall fell out and just just real assholes to this lady you know for no reason luann's a sweet person you know and you know you see her really struggling you know the the loss of buckley and then she sees buckley and that whole song like i'm trying not to cry man that whole song with them yeah. jumping and then they're they're starting to come back and then that 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 eye contact they make and then you see that 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 weight was lifted off of her shoulders, kind of like that weight was lifted off of my shoulders with my dog, right? You see that. And then you see her stressing about this shit. So she's going through this whole episode where it's, it's do I do this? Do I stay stagnant? Do I grow? Do I leave? Do I evolve? So it was just this dichotomy that she was going through. And then you see the resolution of her saying, fuck beauty school. I don't want to do this. And then you see her essentially letting that piece of her life that happened, that, that, that horrible part of her life go. And you see this, you see this, you see the relaxing, you see her shoulders relax, not there, not really, but you just see the, like I said, you see the weight of the, 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 the issues going away from Luann. And then this is the moment where it hits the most, because I look at this being a dad, being a husband. You know, being a brother, being I mean, not so much being a brother or, you know, being a son and shit like that, because once you get older, in my opinion, you know, you got your family, but you've created a, a family and then it's your responsibility to make sure that family progresses. But, yeah. um, you know, seeing that, you know, one day I'll no longer be here for my three kids. I'll no longer be here for my wife. I'll no longer be here for my dogs. Maybe, you know, it's just you see all of this shit. And as an adult, as a father, as a husband, this episode hits so much deeper and you guys got me every fucking time with that <laughs> song every single time man like the yeah. eyes get all glassy man um me too that's an that's enough word vomit for me it's ladies and gentlemen i apologize <laughs> man you worked on this show i just had to tell you just like i said how important this episode was to me how how much i needed this episode as a kid how much I don't need this episode as an adult now because I'm tired of being this sad. <laughs> but I'm so glad it's there. And like I said, I think it is, if I can take five episodes that I would give somebody and say, 
if they asked me like what would you say is so good about king of the hill i would give them this this is one of the five episodes i would give somebody and say this is everything you need to know about this show this is heart encapsulated in 22 minutes 30 minutes if you want to count commercials this is everything a show should be and is because of folks like yourself so i would love to know man uh what (laughs) at what point did you know that this show you said it was a, a an emotional show for you man but at what point you know when you're looking at shots how are you doing the pacing you know what are you looking for as far as trying to trying to tell the story that you ended up telling with a couple other guys and gals that worked on the show man but uh what are these scenes what are these episodes what are these shots that really stuck out the most to you man um well for a long time i mean uh, in the beginning i was doing character design i did the character design for about about a year and then uh, moved on to character layout and like i said it's all about uh doing key poses for for the animation and stuff and as a character layout artist you would get the script you would get the audio track on a cassette tape mm-hmm. and uh uh you would get the did i say the script the script the audio yes. track um, uh and you have all the designs and stuff and um as a character layout artist keyframe animator you're you're basically trying to do justice to the storyboard. Uh, mm-hmm. So you get the storyboard as well, and uh, you know you you try and make sure that the background perspective is correct, and you know the characters are placed in their environment well, and you're doing the acting well. Uh, but once you kind of get all that that technical stuff kind of worked out, then you're really diving into the emotions of, mm-hmm. of the characters, and um, you know you're really trying to convey it with their facial expression, with their poses, with the the acting that they go through. So, um, you know, you, you have the voice acting, you know, in the, in the case of that episode, you have, uh, uh, Brittany Murphy and I can't remember who the actor who did uh, Buckley, but, um, you, you have the, those voice performances. And so you're trying to do justice both to the storyboard and to the, to the voice performance. And, um, you know, so I would get really into, you know, the emotions of the characters and everything that they were going through and really do my best to try to convey that visually. And mm. and that, I think, is the part of the most rewarding part of the process to this day uh, for me is trying to convey the uh, the emotions of the characters in, in the scene, kind of do justice to the script, do justice to the voice acting, and uh, and really sell that. And and I, I felt like uh, for those scenes on that episode of Wings of the Dope, it was already so rich, and it was so... Mm-hmm you know, heartfelt and, and, you know, and moving that it was just my job not to drop a ball. And I, I, you know, I needed to do it justice and, and put my heart into it. And, uh, you know, you, you do that with the, with the, you know, the main characters that are involved in the scene in the scene. But, um, another fun thing for me, um, you know, sometimes you'd have to do crowd scenes and mm-hmm. one of my least favorite. And I know a lot of people's least favorite parts about, about both storyboarding and, and, um, uh, character animating is doing crowd scenes and the the upside and the fun part of that too is you can tell little stories with with the characters in the background there like you can you can sneak in you know a character doing something or having a little facial expression or or having an interaction or something uh and so it's it's always a lot of fun inhabiting the emotions of the characters that you're drawing because you're really you're really the performer you're you know Mm -hmm. like you, you you know you're riffing off of the the uh the voice acting but you're really getting the characters to go through their their emotions and emotions and um uh, I, I think i went on a tangent i'm trying to remember what your your original question was but um oh. it, it's a 
it, that for me is is the most rewarding part of being involved in 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 in, in the sh in a show like this. And it's particularly great when you get a really well written moment mm -hmm. uh, or you know assignment that has has a great those great moments, and uh, you can really sink your teeth into that and and get lost in the the emotions of the of the moment and, and of the characters. Um, when you go back and you watch this, obviously, you know, you worked on this so many years ago. Um, and then you've got kind of like I do, you've got these eyes that are from one, you've got perspective now because you're a little bit older Two, you've got a kid. So you're looking at this a lot differently, like I was looking at it. Um, do you think there's a moment for you particular that that you think drives home? I don't want to say it's like the best part of the episode, but what I'm getting at is what do you think the best part of this episode? What can what scene can you sum up this episode with? Um, I think it is that I mean, uh, I I had for, <laughs> I had forgotten the the um the story about Luann's uh, you know, the, the test at the Beauty Academy and mm -hmm. the Mean Girls and all that, that sort of stuff and you know, uh, I had when I watched, I was like, "Oh, yeah, I remember all this," and and not just remembering it, but like you know, um, Joel Adams was one of the character designers at the time, and I'm like, "Oh, those are those are Joel designs," you know. So I was remembering Joel, and I was remembering all the, <clears throat> you know, all the little interactions that I had with with other people, and um, you know, um, so I, I had forgotten about all that stuff, but the the stuff that really, uh sticks in, in my mind when I think about the episode is that interaction with with Luann and Buckley and when mm -hmm. when she realizes that you know she's in in her room and she hears the the trampoline and she sees out the window and comes out and and has that first interaction with him and you know she says what and he says chicken butt and you know yeah. like, I remember all that stuff and she gets up and starts talking to him and oh Buckley's angel and yeah, my name. Don't wear it out, or I, I can't remember what it's. Yeah. But uh, you That's know, all said. the all the lines. You know, it's like ah, oh, you know, I I was so into those scenes when I was working on them that mm -hmm. it all you know it all comes right back. And so so just the those scenes uh, in particular, where she's interacting with him and and he does the the flip to show his wings and yeah, and they're bouncing and. Uh, I remember uh, talking with Cindy about, you know, the fact that he bounces slower and she bounces, you know, at her regular rate. And um, I was it, it, those parts of the, the episode stick out so much to me that I had forgotten the whole other subplot of, you know, the Beauty Academy stuff and her deciding to do community <laughs> college at the end and everything. You know, uh, so remembered that when I just recently rewatched the episode. But uh but yeah, the trampoline stuff is what, what sticks out to me the most. Oh, absolutely. That is, as they, as the kids like to say, that's the scene stealer still. So I've got a couple more, a uh, couple more things that I want to hit on for this one. And then we'll move on to the next one, man. Uh, probably my, I don't want to say favorite scene because that trampoline is hands down my favorite scene in this, this whole episode. However, favorite lines of dialogue. I got two, man. Uh, Peggy. How do I say this without coming off like a dick? Oh, um, I don't understand the hate for Peggy that most people have. Uh, I yeah, think yeah. she she's just one of those characters like everybody knows a mom like Peggy, like they their kid That's is true. their everything. You know, she tries her hardest. She's so determined. I like Peggy, man. Uh, you know, Reddit is a weird place to go down, especially for the King of the Hill, uh, King of the Hill Reddit. 
um, yeah, or yeah. subreddit, excuse me, uh, because you always see somebody just bagging on Peggy. And I, I just I don't I've never understood it, man. I, there's not a character that I don't like. Um, you know, there's not a character I hate. I love every single one of these characters. I've got bias when I look at the show because I think it's a perfect show. Um, but like I said, I, I Jesus's love is still one of one of my favorite things. Her just blowing the hair, uh, the, the 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 hair dryer in her ear, and she and Hank comes by. He's like, "Oh man, you're hearing Jesus's love again." And she's like, "Jesus is love," and then her hair sticking up. I, I love that scene, but or that uh, that line. But my favorite piece of dialogue in this entire one. This entire episode, excuse me. Um, it's at the end of this episode where Luann decides to go back. And then, you know, Bobby, uh, Peggy, and Hank are all sitting out at the table. They're all drinking. It's nighttime and shit. And uh, I'm trying to look for it. I, I wrote it down on my phone. Oh, here it is. Uh, Hank goes, I didn't know there was a wiener wagon uh, was stopping by in Ireland. And then you see Bobby. He looks like the skeptical snake. So his eyes are really squinting. He stands up. And he's like, obviously not. Or you would have taken me. So anytime <laughs> Bobby can throw some shade like that, I, I absolutely love. And one thing in particular that I don't think I've talked about enough as far as King of the Hill goes, I know I've talked them to death when it comes to this show. I love backgrounds. Backgrounds are absolutely my favorite. My favorite thing about animation, like everybody loves the characters. Everybody loves story. I absolutely love the world building. I love Love, love, love the color palace that was chosen for King of the Hill. Anytime there is a nighttime shot to so that purple, that pink, that blue, you see it in the trampoline scenes. Yeah. I pause it and I go, whoever did this, fucking thank you because this is a masterpiece. It could be nothing going on. You could see a trash can in the background. I don't give a shit. I see those colors. I see the backgrounds. I see the shots you guys take where you zoom out, you zoom out, and you zoom out, and you see just the landscape of suburban Ireland, you know? It's just yeah. so beautiful. It's second to none when it comes to this man. But uh, those are the those are the two lines in particular that I absolutely love this episode about, you know, it's just Bobby. Anytime, like I said, anytime I can get some funny Bobby in there, anytime I can get some very heartful Luann, because on the outside people see Luann, she's this very attractive young lady, right? She might consider be considered ditzy to some people, but she's so much heart. She's so much soul. She is that person that you root for because you see where she comes from. You see the horrible life she had with her mom and her dad. You see that abuse, right? And then you see somebody that's really trying to make something for herself. So like I said, to see her get a win in this after taking so many losses, I think it just it paid off so well. You guys, you guys could have fallen on this one. Like it could have been a shitty episode and be like, ah, see, this is why Luann sucks. But you guys absolutely crushed this episode. You guys nailed you stuck the landing it was a 10 out of 10 even from the russian judge or the french judge whichever one uh <laughs> you know gives the shitty you know shitty scoring and 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 those uh those tropey movies um yeah yep, love this one the next one and we're a uh, luann centric today uh the next one is yes. going to be naked ambition which yeah. as a young man this one was a fun one because we've all <laughs> we've all kind of went through something like this first time we saw somebody naked uh, yes, not yeah. so much my cousin because I didn't want it. It's my cousin. And two, uh, you know, I've, I didn't really hang around my cousins, but nonetheless, man, Bobby, they're all at the, uh, they're all at the waterhole, the lake, you know, con, uh, all of, all of them, you know, Bill, everybody from uh, rainy street is there, um, enjoying a nice day out. Uh, and then at the end of it, Bobby ends up seeing Luann naked and then pisses Joseph off because Joseph wanted to see it naked. Now, yeah. before we dive deep into this episode, what I thought is so topical about this show, there's two things in particular about King of the Hill that I've noticed have been topical then 
my, maybe not so much then as it is now, right? So with 30 years of hindsight looking at it, um, you see, uh, you know, Connie start to feel very subconscious about her body because Luann looks a specific way. Connie is a young, you know, pre-pubescent adolescent girl. They might be going through puberty. I don't really know. I can't remember when I went through it. They're in middle school, so they might be on the cusp of puberty. Um, but you see her starting to feel very uncomfortable with how she looks compared to Luann. And you, so you start to see her comparing that, right? Now, you can draw correlations in 2023 with social media, uh, with with filters that women use and men use too, and then people consistently judging what somebody looks like in their perfect moment that's been photoshopped, that, that's been edited. You know, so that was something that I thought was very, very poignant. Um, and, you know, obviously you guys aren't really thinking social media 30 years ago. But looking at that in hindsight, like I said, you've got adult eyes now, you've got dad eyes now. So you see that moment. I thought that was like, man, this is something that I think can this episode can air now. And I think it would have a very big uh, what's the I don't want to say following in the wrong way, but I, I think it would be I think people would look at this episode a little bit a little differently than other than it's just ah, it's a hot chick getting shown this one. You, know, you can draw, like I said, a lot of correlations to today's age with this episode, man. Um, but why was this one? Obviously, we talked about Wings of Dope. You, you did that that beautiful sequence with, you know, him and Luann and jumping on the trampoline. But why was this one the one that was just right here in your head when you gave me those two episodes? <laughs> um, for for multiple reasons, um, partly and to a lesser, I'll. I'll tell you the, the lesser reason before I get to the, the greater reason it is um and, and maybe the reason why it, it's two Luann centric episodes is because um uh I loved I thought Brittany Murphy was great and and mm -hmm. um I I uh had the opportunity to dance with her at one of the premiere parties yeah that's and, cool uh, so that was a really memorable thing so I was a, you know a Brittany Murphy fan from 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 then on yeah. uh yeah uh it was a uh, god maybe it was it was either the first season premiere party or the second season premiere party and this was yeah like 97 or 98 or something like that and um swing dancing was a thing uh back then <laughs> and, uh, i was I, I used to like going swing dancing with my friends and and um i remember swing dancing with a friend's friend i think uh at some point and um out of nowhere, the next song comes on. Brittany comes up and grabs my hand and says, you know how to dance? Let's dance. And I was like, okay, Brittany Murphy, sure. And <laughs> we, we didn't swing dance, but we kind of, we just kind of like grabbed each other's hands and spun in a circle and looked into each other's eyes. And, yeah. you know, like, uh, <laughs> uh, and afterwards, you know, I was starstruck and I was having a moment with Brittany Murphy. And then a friend of mine jumps up and kind of got in between us. And I was like, ah, you know. What a dick! No, oh, damn it! Yeah, you kind of like it. Um, and uh, um, I was talking with Anthony Leoy about this not long ago. But there was a picture of all of us, you know, like with me and Brittany and everybody else, and and uh, I ended up giving it to her. Um, mm -hmm. Like you idiot! Why didn't you keep that picture? You know, why did you, why did you give her that picture? You like, yeah, it was it was dumb, but you know, I wanted her to have it, and you know, but anyway, so so uh, ever since then. Luann had had, you know, and Brittany Murphy had had a place in my heart. And so yeah. I, I loved working on Luann's stuff. Um, but uh, for, for that episode, for, for Naked Ambition, um, I remember uh, distinctly because I got to do all the water skiing stuff. 
Mm. And uh, uh, Anthony uh, was the director. Robin Brigstock was the assistant director. And uh, I want to say it was Robin's boards that I was working off of. Um, but I got to animate the the water skiing, both with the you know the backgrounds in the water, uh, mm -hmm. which I um, I uh, referenced. I had a, a, a bad VHS copy of Porco Rosso, you know Miyazaki movie. Yeah, and there's such beautiful water animation in that in that movie because uh, there's a lot of seaplanes and and uh, a lot of splashing water and stuff. So I referred to that and I kind of lifted, you know, all the the water animation from the from Porco Rosso. Uh, <laughs> but even more uh, fun was the fact that I got the the bouncing boobs scene, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I animated the shit out of those. <laughs> Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, lots of research, uh, lots of time, lots of effort. And, uh, <laughs> one of the, the the crowning achievements of my animation career, right there. Um, <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun, and and um, I, I think I had, there was a, a season or two where I I moved up to San Francisco, and then I moved back and got got back on King of the Hill, and I think I missed the premiere party for that episode, and I think they screened that. And gave Anthony an award, say you know, because they, the producers loved it or something. Um, mm -hmm. But I, but I missed out on that party because uh, I because I wasn't there. But um, getting to animate the the wind, uh, water skiing, the bouncing boobs, and the and the uh, the water effects, mm -hmm. uh, I had a, I had a great time with, and it. it was a lot of fun. And um, you know, it definitely stands out as a as a um, uh, a key moment. <laughs> in my time on, on king of the hill um, yeah it's a so core memory for, for sure yeah i've i've actually got anthony coming on not this week or not uh next week but the following week so i'm talking to him in a couple weeks um yeah i mean i'm looking forward like i said anytime i could talk to any of you guys man i gotta i gotta so when i first started this podcast man i don't, I don't know if you if you watch the or if you're i noticed a lot of you guys um some of you guys won't watch the stuff you make and then some of you guys just see it as a job like the, you guys love your job, but they don't really watch a lot of animation when you're not at work because, you know, you're dealing with animation all day. Um, but yeah. there was a show uh, called Ed, Ed and Eddie on Cartoon Network, man. Um, and when I first started this show, I did a deep dive into the, almost the entire studio for AK, every board artist, every writer. I had almost all of the voice actors on there. So I did a deep dive on that show or that series. You know, um, and then I'm doing the same thing with you guys. I mean, the first guy I had on that had and I I, I want to get him back on because one, he's getting up there in, in, in age um, and two, he's just such a wealth of knowledge. Uh, but I had film. I had Phil Roman on my show uh, first year, second year, whatever it was. And we talked uh, primarily, primarily Grinch, because I know that's one thing he wanted to talk about because it stuck out so much to him, you know, getting to, to, to animate with Chuck Jones and then Chuck Jones looking back at him and telling him he's an animator. He's like, my hero called me an animator, you know? So we, we, we dove deep into the Grinch and I uh, want to get him back on. Um, and we, we, we go a little bit more in detail with the King of the Hill stuff, but, uh, yeah, anytime I can get any of you guys on, man, it, it, it's a blast. Cause like I said, you guys had such a huge part of my childhood and now my adulthood, I'm trying to get my kid into it now. Um, cause we'll sit down and we'll watch a couple episodes when I'm cooking dinner or something like that. It's on the background. Um, and then we talk about it shit like that. Um, but one, one of the, one of the main things that stick out to me in this episode is, um, there was always two or three stories within a story for almost every episode. And I thought that was 
one it was brilliant two if you this just goes to the staff from from cast a crew and everybody in between it just goes to show you how intelligent how smart and how fucking good you guys are at your job um one story for 30 minutes is already hard enough then you weave in two extra stories and that's on the low count you know sometimes you got three four stories in there for a character that you will only see maybe two more times throughout the series right so how you guys masterfully wove two or three stories into 22 minutes and then everything everything ended and everything stuck perfectly i'm always just amazed by but the whole gang getting uh taken in for mental health or not, what was it not, not mental health excuse me what was it um ah oh, shit what is that like, thing called they, the one, right? no no it's it's the same it's the same episode of neck and ambition um you know uh boomhauer ends up floating down the oh. down the you know, so they all end up in the uh, mental hospital or the 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 psych ward. Excuse me, that that's was the, right, the term I was right, looking for. Right. Yeah. So there's there's so like I said, there's so many stories. You've got Boomhauer going down, getting locked up because he's burnt the shit because he spent the entire time on the lazy river drunk. You know, he ends up in downtown Dallas or whatever it was, um, or downtown Ireland. Uh, you know, so he's fried up. He's a you know he doesn't know where he's at. You know, he ends up getting you know, into it with the cop head cut off, man, you know, and then they throw him into a psych ward and then he calls Dale of all people to <laughs> fucking call because <laughs> you don't want Hank to know, right? Dale's not on the top of my list. I'm calling Peggy at the very least, or I'm calling Nancy, you know, um, but he calls Dale. And then my favorite line in this, in this line of dialogue in this one is when he's like, yeah, of course I won't tell Hank. And he hangs up. And then Dale's sitting there with his pet turtle and he goes, all right, I need a kiss before I can leave. And then he goes, you know, the turtle sucks his head back in and he sucks his arms back. And he's like, oh, come on now. And he goes, and he's like, I will, I can destroy you. And he's telling, he's telling a fucking turtle. Yeah. That I can destroy you. It, it's like that whole sequence was hilarious. And then they all get in there. They end up having to call Bill in for, for reinforcements. Bill checks himself in. You know, so it's a whole thing, you know, these guys get in and eventually Hank has to has to bail them out. Um, and then same thing, you know, like I said, it was it was going through the whole that, that whole weird stage is a 13 year old seeing this naked lady and then another 13 year old that wants to see wants to download the image of Bobby's Bobby's um, Bobby's cousin into his own mind because, you know, he's they're all horny teenagers at this point. But yeah. the thing that I think nails this episode kind of like that trampoline scene is the moment at the end of this. And and I would love for you to go back and watch this whenever you got some downtime. I know you're a busy guy, but go and watch like the last two minutes of this episode. It's after Khan, you know, builds this eight foot fence or whatever it was to keep Bobby and Connie from seeing each other. And, oh, yeah. you know, Bobby's going into the garage to try to get a ladder and then Hank pulls up. Right. And this is another shot, this beautiful background of that purple, that red, that pink, that dusk time. Right. Beautiful background. And this is this is what I always wanted from a dad, man. I didn't have a dad growing up, you know, so I always wanted this moment, you know, because it was it's a Hollywood moment. It's a picturesque moment. It's that it's that mythical father son bond that you see in every single movie. And they don't really say anything. It's all in, in how you guys animated the emotion that you gave. You guys gave these characters life. And then you see that 
on these cells when it's going frame by frame, right? So Hank looks at him and then he looks over and he sees Connie up on the fence. And then he instantly knows he's like, oh, I, I know what he's trying to do. They miss each other. It's the Romeo and Juliet scene, essentially, right? So he goes, the 10 footer will work. And then he looks at his son. He's like, oh, my son doesn't know tools. It's, it's the middle one. So he goes and he gets it for him. And then as he gives it, I can't remember if Bobby says, thanks, dad. But Hank gives him this look where it's it cuts away so fast. And I don't know if I'm just putting my own baggage on it or if, if I saw what I wanted to see. But you see Hank's look at Bobby and he is so fucking proud of Bobby. He's so happy for Bobby. And as it cuts away, in my mind, I was like, that's where Hank cries right there. That's where Hank fucking tears up right there. And they cut away from it instantly. Beautiful editing, beautiful just for directing of this uh, this entire episode but that scene in particular he gives it to him and he knows bobby is going to be all right essentially is what i'm getting at it's such such a scene and I, I don't think if you're just watching or listening in the background you probably miss it you know you worked on the episode so you probably seen it but just that little half of a second half of a millisecond that, like i said where he recognizes what bobby's trying to do he's helping bobby out and he's so proud he's so happy and it was just yeah. a special moment. Like I said, it was such a beautiful scene and it's gone in a blink of a sec, you know, blink of an eye. It's gone. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful episode. It's a fun episode. Anytime the guys can go get locked up in a psych ward and uh, you know, you know, Dale's, you know, trying to trade clothes with a, with a crazy dude for sick for a cigarette, man. It's just, there's so much shit in this episode that it's just so fun, man. Like I said, it's another episode that 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 you got that you guys absolutely crushed. Um, yeah. you know, as we start to wind down, because I've already kept you for an hour and a half, and I apologize for that. Um, I always tell this to everybody, but I'd love to have you back on so we can talk regular show because there are some uh, a couple more things that I'd love to hit for you know some of the things that we pre-gamed with. But I'd love to have you back on if you're interested to do uh deep dive and regular show, man, because I, I love that show too. Sure, or we can keep going today, whichever you prefer. I'm 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 down to, to keep going. Well, if, if you don't if you don't have time, we could split. Like I said, we'll split this one into two, and then I'll do this first episode as King of the Hill. I'll cut all this shit out, but I'll do this first episode as King of the Hill, and then the second one we'll split it into two, and then we'll do regular show. Um, I just didn't want to take too much of your time if you if you had some shit to do. No, no, I uh, I, my Friday night is open. <laughs> oh, man, beautiful, beautiful. That's what I love to hear, man. All right, so. Getting uh getting back to King of the Hill. So there were some names that I gave you before. Um, you know, obviously two uh are no longer here, and then the other uh we talked about a couple of the other ones, but there was three more on there that we could bring up uh and chat a little bit about, man. But uh Ian Wilcox is the first name uh that I'd love to bring up, man. If you have a story, ladies and gentlemen, Ian Wilcox is no longer with us. These two uh these two gentlemen that we're gonna talk about, him and Jesse Romero, uh, are no longer with us. Um, but they had a very huge and integral part to making the show with what it is, man. Um, so as we like to do when um some people that helped push animation down the road and helped innovate. Uh, they're no longer here. We like to immortalize them, right? I need to come up for a name for this segment so it can be a little bit more uh, sound and a little bit more, um, I don't know, perfect, I guess. Uh, but uh, you got any fun interactions, fun stories? Or whenever you hear Ian's name, man, what are some of the stories or thoughts that come to the forefront? Well, uh, Ian was, he, you know, a lot of, of, of uh my friends and colleagues in animation, you know, uh, King of the Hill was one of those springboard shows that that mm -hmm. a lot of people got their start on, and just you know, kind of uh, 
you know, it was a springboard for their careers. And we all came up together. And Ian was one of those central guys that mm-hmm. uh, was just such a, you know, he was such a, a a character and a personality and a fixture as, as part of the crew. Um, and, you know, he was he was a good friend of mine as well. Um, but, you know, we would always be hanging out together and, you know, having uh, lunches together, uh, hanging out after work or um uh, I remember going to, you know, we were going to avoid politics, but we went to a political rally once and, and yeah. kind of marveled at, you know, uh, the both the, the pros and the cons of of, of being at that rally. Um, but he was just a very funny guy. He was a very moral uh, guy. Um, you know, he was tall. Uh, I can't remember if uh, he was 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", somewhere around there. Um, and, you know, uh, went to the gym, you know, so he had this physical presence. but he also had this kind of fun, goofy um, demeanor and just a really nice guy. He was also a Boston guy. And mm-hmm. um, he, he was uh, he, he maintained his Boston accent. And I remember I remember one guy saying to me once, <clears throat> and I can't remember who said this to me, uh, a Californian guy, like a guy who, who grew up in California. First time that he heard uh, Ian He's like, you know, I, I thought that maybe he was a little retarded or something, you know, because of the because of the way he speaks. And I was like, no, man, he's just got a Boston accent. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. But he, um, Ian was just a really kind, good-hearted guy. Um, and I have all sorts of memories of going out to lunch with him and sharing jokes with him. And and uh, one of the things that uh, you know, when 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 he passed um, last year. <clears throat> that uh we all thought about or at least i i thought about was um first it was just his, his kindness his his presence mm-hmm. as a as a character in the crew and and what he meant to everybody what he meant to me personally uh but one of the things that he, he liked to do was he liked to uh rescue cats and um he would see he would save stray cats and um <laughs> uh one of the other guys on the crew uh Giancarlo Volpe um he, he used to draw these comics and he made up a character based on ian mm-hmm. uh, called captain save a cat or captain sack <laughs> and uh and so captain sack you know uh he was a uh, you know mild-mannered ian during the day but then you know he would be this cat rescuing superhero and um his arch nemesis was um was john carlo's mom and so uh um john carlo <laughs> made his mom the the arch villain and uh john collar was kind of like her her uh sidekick in evil and there's yeah. uh, <laughs> this you know john carlo did all these these amazing uh uh comics on on paper but um there was a hallway in, in uh on the king of the hill floor on the second floor of the film room where we were allowed to, to doodle on the walls and mm-hmm. people would, would draw you know uh characters or comics or whatever John Carlo did this, like, I don't know, it was like maybe five feet by eight foot comic of, of Holy Captain shit. <laughs> and, and, um, God, yeah, I, I, he, he'd sent me, uh, some, uh, uh, a photo of it and it's just it's so good. And it's so funny. And the characters of <laughs> the characters of Ian are, are hilarious. And, um, it's just really funny and really sweet. And there was this one moment uh, there's one panel that I loved where um, Captain Sack uh, gets captured 
you know, and he's he's in the clutches of of Giancarlo's mom. You know, the the, the his evil arch nemesis. <laughs> she's she's got him chained to a wall, so he's hanging. You know, he's hanging from his wrist. You know, on the wall, and she grabs his shirt and rips his shirt off, and like, <laughs> like rip. Oh, it's you, Captain Sabercat. <laughs> it's just it was this really funny, sweet moment that I that I thought about, and and uh, I just as well. I loved I loved John Carlos comics, and I think I had mentioned to you earlier that we you know we would always be drawn caricatures of each other, and there'd be post its mm -hmm. and 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 you know pieces of paper with with drawings and stuff, and and uh, when Ian passed, you know he had been he had been sick for about four years before he passed, and I uh, I felt badly that I I wasn't able to see him during that time. We exchanged mm -hmm. some messages and stuff, but when he passed, it was a, it was really um, difficult for me personally, and difficult I know for John Collo and for for a bunch of us on the crew, because he he was such a fixture on King of the Hill, and he was yeah. he he went on to become a fixture at The Simpsons after after the run on King of the Hill was was done, and and just you know meant a lot to a lot of people, and it, that was evident at his memorial. Uh, John Carlo and his wife uh, Angela Marie uh, organized, and everybody came out. You know, mm -hmm. uh, like I, I want to say, like ninety-five percent of the crew of King of the Hill and, and a huge percentage of the Simpsons came out. And you know, it was a sad occasion, but um, it was really wonderful for for me and for everybody because some of those folks I hadn't seen in fifteen years. You know, yeah. like you. You you work together on these productions and it's you know you have these intense relationships with people because you're spending all your time uh, with mm -hmm. these people you know you're you're working together and you're having fun together you're going out to lunches together we used to play we used to play Foursquare together you know um, during lunches and stuff and it was just wonderful to be able to see all these familiar faces and you know reconnect with people and stuff and uh, so it was sad as an occasion but it was wonderful that ian brought us back together again yeah yeah and um jesse um was another fixture you know uh on the crew who was just a good-hearted guy you know he was you know like ian they were both super talented guys um both super friendly um and jesse was one of those guys who was you know he seemed to be able to be good at everything that he did, you know, like he mm -hmm. was an athletic guy. He was super friendly and, 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 you know, really personable. And, um, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, um, I, I think we had, we had talked before about, about animation and it, it being a small world, but it, it's even smaller when you kind of break it into different, um, I guess you'd call it animation cliques, you know, like you have the action guys and you have the, the primetime comedy guys and you have mm -hmm. the cartoony, you know, Nickelodeon guys. And then you have the, the you know, the preschool folks and, you know, uh, and, and us in the, um, the primetime clique, um, we're always crossing paths. And, and um, uh, when I started working at Bento Box on, uh, on Great North, he was there working on, I'm pretty sure he was on Bob's. And uh, so I reconnected with him and and I didn't even know he was sick. And he, mm -hmm. you know, um, I heard that he had passed on, you know, I think it was a month or two ago. So that was kind of it was kind of a shock. Um, yeah. You no, know, young, young guy, um, I'll say early 50s and 
last time I had seen him, you know, uh, he seemed fine and, you know, just as friendly and, and good natured and, and good hearted as he ever was. And, and so, uh, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, um, recognizing your own mortality and, mm -hmm. you know, coming, coming to grips with death and um, the passing of those two guys in, in particular really uh, affected me a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, both both super, super sweet people and super, super talented and, and taken way too soon, way too, way too young. I think Ian was mid mid late fifties, and Jesse was early fifties, and yeah, we all we we came up together. So yeah, yeah. It's uh, thank you for sharing those stories, man. It's uh, it's something that's been omnipresent in my mind for shit. I can tell you exactly when. Uh, I I haven't changed the calendar since since it happened last February. Um, my father-in-law passed away uh, last February, not this year, last year. And sure. uh, it's it's the first death that um, that I went through uh, that that really like, really shook me to my core, right? It really I didn't know I was gonna feel the way i I felt when he passed. and um, like I said, I never had a dad uh, growing up. He went to prison when I was really young. He didn't want kids, you know. I, I talk to him from time to time now. He's going through, uh, he's going through really bad. He has terminal cancer. He's going through some really bad shit, and you know, it's not like my father ever beat me. He didn't molest me. You know, he didn't do any like horrible shit. But an absentee parent, uh, a parent that you can obviously tell did not want kids, um, you know. It, it does something to you. It makes you, it makes you question every relationship you'll ever have, especially with another male. It was very easy for me to, to connect with females when I was growing up because my mom raised me. My sister was there, you know, um, everybody that was in my family was a female. Um, you know, so it's just like, I had an older brother, but he was out of the picture. I had a younger brother, but you know, you're always fighting with your brother, you know, when you're younger and older, you know, but, uh, this, this death, just like I said, it shook the shit out of me. And, you know, I wasn't, I, it was out of nowhere. He got sick. It was COVID. You know, he, he was a, uh, he was a heavy smoker for like 40 years. And then he quit about a decade ago, you know, and then, um, you know, he was, he, he died like him and my mom had the same birthday. So he died, uh, you know, a month before his 62nd birthday. And, you know, um, we all got COVID. I didn't have any issue. Like I lost my sense of smell. But I, I didn't have anything like my wife got pretty sick. Um, you know, my my youngest at the time, Cooper, he he didn't really he didn't really notice anything. And then my uh, my oldest, you know, he had a headache and stuff like that. But, he, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. And then my mother-in-law gets sick and she has lupus. Oh. So that's the one we were like really worried about because it's an autoimmune disease. Right. So that shit will just tear right through you. And, uh, you know, he ended up getting sick and then he just went to the doctor, like he went to the hospital way too late. And it's just, well, after you smoke for 40 years, it's a respiratory disease. So it just ripped through his lungs. Um, you know, and he never, he never recovered, but you know, the last time we saw him, you know, happy and healthy, it was, uh, Christmas day, you know, the year prior, um, or, you know, a couple weeks prior to him getting sick. Cause we all got sick on my son's birthday, January 12th. 
And, um, you know, we all got sick and then he got sick a week after. And like I said, he just never recovered. But the last time I, we all saw him and we were all together and we were all happy and shit as, um, that Christmas, he built my oldest son, a cornhole set, right? I don't know if you ever played cornhole before. Um, I I, I fucking love this game, man. It's so fun. I'm super competitive, right? And, uh, my, my father-in-law, his name is Nate master woodworker dude could build anything he could fix anything like he showed me so many things like how to fix stuff in my house like my wife if the roles were reversed and like the male female thing was reversed um like 100 percent, she would be a dude i don't know how to do fucking anything in this my wife can build a house <laughs> I, I like i have no interest in it whatsoever i love to cook i love to bake i love cartoons you know so i don't want to be i don't want to fill my head full of shit that i just don't give a shit about she loves all that type of stuff and she learned it from her dad i've said it you know you're from this area anybody from boston can damn near build a house by themselves you guys get shot out of the womb knowing how to build fucking floor plans for houses and stuff right <laughs> you know so it's uh he he built this thing because we were looking for something that uh he could make you know hayden because they we were at a loss we didn't know what to get hayden you know he's doesn't didn't really ask for anything he doesn't really ask for anything you know and uh you know he we're like well he likes cornhole because we had played it at this uh this farm we had went to one time and then we're like hey make him make him something like that so he did he went to the fucking nines dude he put lights on the outside he put little remotes on it um you know he could make him go different colors he he cut everything, nailed everything, glued everything, stained it to the colors, the my son's favorite colors. And then the day, uh, the day that came, you know, he we at Christmas, he opens it up and Hayden's like, ape shit. He's like, oh my God, this is so cool. We gotta go play it. So, yeah. you know, we're out there playing, and then, you know, he gets he gets tired because the sun's it's Florida. The sun's beating the shit out of you. It's a nice cool day, but the sun's beating the shit out of you. So, you know, the Hayden goes inside. So it's me and Nate playing. And then he won the first game. And like I said, I'm ultra competitive. If if somebody wins, I gotta get that, I gotta get that game back. We gotta, we gotta run it back, man. We can't, we can't, you can't leave until <laughs> we play again. And I end yeah. up taking the second game. And then it starts raining like it does almost every Christmas in Florida. So we had to put everything away. I'll never like this is and I'll try to do this without crying because every time I think about it, I end up crying. But it's just like I'll never get that game back. I was supposed to play a third game. We were supposed to have winner takes all on this one. And every time I think about him, he was such the kindest person I'd ever met. Literally, like you hear it all the time, but the dude would literally give your give him give you his shirt off of his back. That was his last one. He would give you his shirt. He was always so gracious with his time. He was always so kind with his stories, you know. And it was just like looking at him pass away and then seeing all these people at this. I don't do funerals. Like I went to one when I was like 12 with my mom's boyfriend, or not 12, excuse me, like 16 with my mom's boyfriend worst fucking experience in my life because they made me go up to the coffin. They made me, I, I have never been the same since I like, I have fucking nightmares of a coffin. I have fucking nightmares of being put in the ground It is just terrifying, but going to his funeral service and seeing so many people say so many wonderful things about him and tell so many stories that I never got the chance to hear from him. I was just fucking blown away. And then I'm sitting back and then, you know, I'm, I'm on my back porch after everything. You know, I cooked for everybody because that's what I do for a living. I, I cook. You know, I, that's one way that I can bring people together and give people a piece of me is through my food. And I'm on the back porch. I'm smoking a joint. And then it just like it fucking hit me. It hit me like a wave. Right. And it was like, dude, I wonder when I go is am I going to be looked at as fondly? You know, am I going to be do I did I make an impact on somebody's life for the better? Did I make anybody's life horrible? 
you know, I mean, it's never my intention to make anybody's life hard. I always want to try to help somebody. I always want to try to be as kind as possible. You know, everybody's got their days, but that was like the first time that I actually started contemplating, like, I'm not going to be here forever. And then I start looking at my kids and I'm like, I'm not going to be here for them forever. So I won't get to see everything that they, they, they're going to get to experience. They're going to have to have that same void that my wife is going through that I'm going through too, is at a very smaller scale than what my wife and her brothers and sisters are going through. And her mother is going through right now, you know, but it's just like, you start to really question that. And then this, this last year has been so horrible. You know, I've had so many friends pass away a couple, you know, a couple people commit suicide. One person commits suicide and then a couple of the people, you know, drug overdose, whether it's accidental or on purpose or in a car accident. But it's just it's been a really shitty, you know, 18 months almost, you know, of just death. And it's just like looking back at all of this shit, you know, it's 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 tough. And the whole reason I said all of that shit is like the wings of dope, man. It helped me. The wings of the dope helped me get through that shit. Looking at that said it's going to be okay where I can sit there and I can kind of relax and breathe. You know, I nobody knows what comes next. I don't, you don't, you know, the fucking person down the street don't. There's going to be a crazy guy on the side of the road that says he knows what's coming next. He might, he might be seeing some shit, you know, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's shit like this that I find comfort in these talks that are very cathartic for me. That's why I love doing this podcast, watching these shows that you guys have such an emotional and a, and a mental attachment to and a physical attachment to, because you worked on it, you know, and then seeing that transpire and seeing the lives that that's touched and the lives that has helped like myself looking through the eyes of you guys just doing your job and trying to make the best thing possible, man. Um, you know, so thank you for sharing those stories of your friend. I know it's, it's never a fucking good time to like have to, you know, talk about somebody that's no longer here. Cause there's nothing more that I want to do right now than pick up my phone and be able to call him and just say, Hey man, I love you. Hey man, I miss you. Cause I never got to say goodbye. I never got to say goodbye, you know? So it, it's, it's one of those things, ladies and gentlemen, if you take anything from this podcast, Say whatever it is you got to say. Do whatever it is you want to do because as douchey and corny as this sounds, it sounds like a bumper sticker, man. Tomorrow's never promised. Um, you know, so like I said, thank you for sharing those stories, man. Like I said, I know it's difficult to talk about people that are no longer here, but I think it's very important um, to immortalize the folks that had such a huge impact on us um, that are that are no longer here, man. All right. Yeah. So um, what's that? Thank you for sharing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I probably I would have been a little bit more relaxed if I would have smoked a joint before this. Uh, I, like I said, I fan I fanboy out. I fanboy out when I talk King of the Hills. So like no, I said, no. it's yeah. Um, but, you know, but, uh, like, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was just going to say, you know, I, I think we may have talked to this, uh, talked about this beforehand, but uh, it, it makes me really happy to, to hear that uh, yeah. the work that I, that I do and that my colleagues do has a, a bigger impact uh, out in the world. And it, it, it you know, it's, it's a, you know, helps people and, you know, gives them something. And, and, you know, I think I was joking earlier that, you know, like I've had moments where I've been like, you know, I, what am I doing? I'm drawing cartoons for a living. You know, I'm not curing cancer. I'm not helping anybody. I'm not doing anything. And then I hear something like that, you know, where, you know, it, it has a, a beneficial, uh, impact on, on your life and on other people's lives and and uh that makes me feel good it makes me realize that what we're doing is important and that it does give something to, to people and it, it uh you know and i find that with with good entertainment too like i you know i'd like there are some authors that i listen to 
that that are kind of like an emotional support for me and mm-hmm. and kind of give me give me something to you know help help me through tough times and and uh, I'm glad to know that what I do can give that to somebody else too that it makes me very happy so good man because to- like I said your episodes have made so many of us so happy and you might not be curing cancer man but I got to imagine there's probably somebody out there that whether they watched it on their phone, they watched it on their iPad, or they watched it when they got home. I guarantee you there was somebody that's going through something like cancer that you guys gave a bright spot to. Somebody that's probably listening you know, or watching King of the Hill right now that's probably going through chemotherapy as they speak, or as we speak, excuse me, and they're finding some kind of comfort, whether it's King of the Hill, Bob's Burgers, regular show, fucking Dexter's Lab, whatever it is, man, you guys have given, I, like, I've I've heard this story, and it's not my story to tell, but I, I, I do think it's very important that people hear this. There's two stories in particular through this this podcast that i've heard that have actually tore just tore the insides out of me man um you know the first one was rob paulson legendary voice actor man um you know he's my he's my mel blanc or mel blank excuse me um you know he's him and billy west are like my the creme de la creme they're the top of the top you know top of the food chain for me it's those two you know but he had this story where he you know he was talking about uh you know he would he would do these voices and then he would do voices for kids that you know were going through some really shit and um you know they would tell him that you know through the darkest times of my lives i would hear you as yakko from animaniacs and i would be a bright spot in my day for 30 days or for 30 minutes excuse me you know whether it was abuse at home mental physical sexual abuse you know you helped me through that and there's one in particular i always i always like to shout her out Cheryl Chase She's the voice of Angelica Pickles um, from Rugrats. And she she told me the story. And it was probably the first time I've cried on this podcast. But it was uh, her and then <clears throat> getting all choked up now. Uh, it was her and this little girl. I think it was either a little girl, or little boy. I can't remember. Dying of cancer right on the phone like their their wish, their their dream or whatever. Uh, make a wish foundation. So it was a wish. Their make a yep. wish was I wanted to talk and sing with Angelica. And then she did this, knowing that this kid possibly wasn't going to make it. You know, you know, through all of through all of the bullshit, you know, the the shit that we go through on a day-to-day basis, getting cut off, you know, you you fucking stub your toe, you break something, you drop something, you burn something, you know, you get an argument with your spouse, you get an argument with your employer. You know, it's it's stories like that where she's talking to this little girl, this little boy, uh, that's dying from cancer that their only thing that, that that they know that would make them happy, the one thing that they want to do before they possibly leave this earth is to just talk to their favorite character. So I don't give a fuck what any washed up celebrity, any washed up actor gets up on that screen and says that animation is just for kids. I don't want to ever hear that shit again because this shit transcends race. It transcends sex. It transcends religion. It transcends any kind of bullshit barrier you could possibly put up between me, you, and anybody else, man. This shit speaks to so many of us. And like I said, the whole point of this, this, this whole, like I said, I've used word vomit twice now, but word vomit that I've been spewing here for the last 30, 45 seconds of this, this, this diatribe, um, this shit, you guys might not be carrying cancer, like you said, but you are curing our depressions. You are bringing us out of a shitty household. You are taking our minds and putting it somewhere else. When at the lowest point of our life, we're thinking about death. We're thinking about starving. We're thinking about all of these other things. So you give us a reprieve 
So, like I said, that was that was some uh, inspirational shit. The light just came on back there. I don't know if you yeah, saw that. Right. <laughs> that good time. Ian, Ian or Ian or uh, uh, Jesse's back there watching us, and they they just want us to know we're we're here, man. Um, yeah, but as as we start to transition to the end of this episode um, for King of the Hill, uh, I figure we do um, uh, a couple more questions, and then we'll uh, like I said, we'll rotate into the regular show. Um, so. I'm going to name a couple names out there. And we talked about a couple of them, but I figure first thoughts that come to your mind, man. Um, uh, like I said, we did Mike, we did Greg, and we did Wes. But one we haven't talked about yet is Clay Hall, man. So when you think about Clay Hall, you got any thoughts that come to mind? Um, as you know, uh, Clay um, was a, a director for, for a while on um, on King of the Hill. And then he uh, was supervising director for uh, a few seasons uh, mm -hmm. for little while i can't remember how long it was um but clay was one of those guys uh, like he, he was a cal arts guy uh he went to school with brad bird um i'm pretty sure he worked on iron giant uh not 100 sure um but uh you know clay was this you know just this cool talented guy that as a as a young kid, you know, in my mid twenties, you know, working on on uh, on King of the Hill, I was like, wow, I want to be like that guy. <laughs> you know, like yeah. he, like he was a cool guy, he's a good good looking guy, talented guy, down to earth and 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 cool. You know, I I just I really looked up to him and uh, I really enjoyed working with him and you know uh, I I felt like I worked well with him when I worked on his episodes and um um. Yeah, he was just a he was just a really nice guy, and and I really enjoyed working with him. And um, uh, I remember, I think it was ninety nine and two thousand. It was like a year and a half that I moved with my you know then girlfriend. She became my wife uh, later on. Uh, we moved to San Francisco because she was coming from New York. I was in L A. We had this long distance thing going, and uh, she didn't want to move to to L A. Uh, I didn't think there was any work for me in uh, in New York, so we decided on San Francisco for some reason. So I moved out to San Francisco for a year and a half uh, during the dot com boom and then the dot com crash. And you know there wasn't a lot of work for me to begin with, but after everything crashed, there was nothing. So I came crawling back down to LA <laughs> and, I, uh, and I called up Clay and I was like, "Hey Clay, you know, can I come back?" And he was like, "Yeah, of course." And so he was really nice and gracious and 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 welcomed me back and. Um, I, I always uh, appreciated that and remembered that. And um, yeah, he was, um, you know, Wes was a quiet leader, you know, like he was, he was the guy behind the scenes who, uh, you know, was a man with a plan, but was also, also a, a man of few words. Um, and, you know, he, he led in a, a more of a quiet style, whereas Clay was a little bit more of a, an outgoing kind of guy. And um, I remember a lot of team meetings where he would gather us all and kind of the center of the bullpen and we would have these uh regular updates and pep talks and and um you know kind of uh team building uh sessions and i remember him you know in that kind of leadership position <clears throat> um but uh but yeah we worked together i can't remember how many how many seasons we worked together but um but yeah, I, I always really liked Clay and really, really enjoyed working with him. And oh, and another memory that I have about Clay was um, <clears throat> a lot of times for for uh, for each episode, 
uh, one of the artists, whether it was the director, assistant director, or one of the one of the uh, board artists, one of the character layout artists, would do a drawing that would appear on the cover of the storyboard. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> I remember for one of Clay's episodes, uh, it was a um, it was the episode where uh, the hills go to Japan, oh. and uh, and Hank gets to meet his half Japanese half brother. Mm -hmm. And so Clay uh, asked me if I would do a promotional drawing for, for him. Um, I, I think it was not just for the cover of the storyboard, but I think just for a, a promotional thing in general, because I ended up doing a, a, a color thing of it. You know, it was, it was in color, not just a, not just a line drawing. And um, did that for him and i was like you know i i really like clay and i really want to do a good job for him on this so i drew the hills in kind of an anime style and yeah. i drew uh i don't know if you saw it i had sent you my portfolio but uh peggy and bobby and hank are in kind of like a, a, a tokyo street and you know hank is looking at the oh you know he's like you know looking <laughs> and he's he's overwhelmed and peggy and bobby on the other hand are having a great time and you know they're mm -hmm. looking at stuff and Bobby's eating a fruit pie and um, and uh, Cotton is kind of like this looming presence, you know, with his arms crossed looking over them. <clears throat> but anyway, I, I had a really good time doing that. I, I brought in a, you know, early version of Photoshop and colored it and stuff. And, you know, uh, like I said, wanted to do a really good illustration for Clay. And uh, because I, you know, I, I respected him and, and loved working with him. And um, he loved it. And he brought it to the uh, to Greg and to the you know the the writers and stuff, and apparently they liked it so much that they blew it up to wall size and it was on the wall in the writers' room uh, <laughs> in Century City. And I just thought that was really really fun and really cool that they they liked this anime, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the Hills in Tokyo uh, uh, illustration that I did. But uh, that was something that I did for Clay, and you know. Uh, um, God, I, I had forgotten that I did that for him. <laughs> Talking about the, about the story, I, I, it all came back to me. But uh, but yeah, I really really enjoyed working with him, um, and and um, you know was kind of uh, well you know bummed or regretful. You know, I was I was always hoping we cross paths again. We haven't we haven't worked together again. But uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I have I have fond memories of working with Clay and uh, remember him as a you know a, a good leader during his tenure. Uh, that's cool yeah yeah that's that's cool man uh that's such a great episode too um i i, I love F cotton and dale probably my two favorite characters i love bob there's like i said there's not one character that i don't like but you know uh i, I told alan this and if it, i don't think if it wouldn't have been for cotton that i wouldn't have fallen you know as far down a rabbit hole in his love of world war ii history and knowledge and stuff yeah, I mean, I joined the Navy for God's sakes, man. I mean, it was because of my love of World War II, uh, the history, and just learning about it. And then a movie called Men of Honor with Cuba Gooding Jr. and Robert De Niro, the first uh, black Navy diver. Um, yeah. And it was, it, like I said, just so fascinated through that whole that whole era. And then you see the hills go to Japan. And I'm like, man, this is so fucking cool. So different, uh, you know. Getting to see, like I said, all of these episodes, if you would have closed your eyes, you probably 
could have imagined it to be real. It, it's just these characters were were more than just characters painted on a cell, man. They were more than just what what you guys wrote for. Like I said, at any point in time, this could have been a live action show, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And Cotton and Dale talk about <laughs> characters. You know, my favorite too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Anytime you can get a conspiracy theory in there and then get me hook, line, and sinker, I'm like, man, I could. This guy's making some sense right now, even though he's not making any sense. This guy knows what he's talking about. Um, you know, you uh, you alluded to the your you dropped his name earlier when you were talking about Clayman. Uh, probably no, there's no probably. This guy's directed my favorite animated movie of all time, and the movie that pushed me into the profession I'm in now, man. Brad Bird. He, you know, uh, Iron Giant, greatest in my opinion, greatest animated movie of all time. And then he did Ratatouille. I see uh, yeah. your Iron Giant on the shelf back there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll show you this too because I've, I've shown it to people a few times. I don't know if I can fucking okay. get it on here. Uh, but uh, oh, my... that's yeah. Dope. So yeah, that was my first tattoo. Uh, I like I said, I love that movie. Makes me cry so much, man. That that whole Superman scene, beautiful. Um, but uh, did you get to did you get to have any paths crossed with old Brad Bird here? You know, I, I, my, our paths did cross once, but mm -hmm. unfortunately not on King of the Hill. Like I, I had um, wanted to, well, I, I wanted to become a director eventually. And, you know, uh, the, the director track was kind of like character layout to storyboards to assistant director to director. And, and um, for a long time, I was, I, well, I had a near miss with with being an assistant director early on, and and um, it didn't end up happening. But I wanted to move into storyboards for a long time, and I did. Mm -hmm. I did character layout for for a bunch of years, and um, you know, part of the reason that I wanted to do boards uh, on King and Hill was not just because I wanted to eventually be a, a director someday, and you know, I also wanted to be a better storyteller and be able to tell stories, you know better through through being able to storyboard um but because brad bird was our you know board uh consultant for for a few seasons and i really really was was trying to to make boards uh before he left and he left right before i got the bump up into boards and yeah. so i just missed him and uh i was so bummed uh um i'm not sure if anybody had told you but we uh, when you get hired, uh, they'll give you, well, before there was a how to draw storyboards the King of the Hill way, there was a how to draw storyboards the Simpsons way. Mm -hmm. And so this would be like a how-to of, you know, what kind of, you know, this is a close-up shot. This is a, a establishing shot. This is this is the 180 rule, you know, all, all the, the storyboarding rules. Uh, I think it was Christian Roman did the, the, did the initial uh, storyboarding the, the Simpsons way uh, packet. But Brad Bird ended up doing the addendum, the storyboarding, the King of the Hill way. And so that was something that you would get as a storyboard artist on King of the Hill. You would get this Brad Bird packet. And it was so cool to see, you know, his notes on on how to to, to make better storyboards. And, uh, yeah, I was really bummed that I just missed working with him. And uh, it was a couple of years later that I went to the Annie Awards. And it was the one and only time I got to go to the Annie Awards. And, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, in case your viewers don't know, it's like the the um, the Animation Academy Awards or the Animation Emmy Awards, you know, that's specifically mm -hmm. for animation. And it's kind of a way to celebrate, you know, everybody's achievements, pat each other on the back, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, 
And so we're all dressed up in suits and tuxes and stuff. And uh, I came out of the theater after the after the show and Brad Bird walks out. And I'm like, oh, it's a fucking animation god, you know, and and. You know, normally I don't, you know, living in L.A., you see celebrities every once in a while. And, you know, normally I don't bother anybody. You know, there have been some notable exceptions where I've, I've met some really great celebrities uh, and I couldn't help myself. I had to go talk to Brad Bird. And uh, so I was like, hey, uh, you know, Brad, I'm, I'm such a huge fan. You know, I worked on King of the Hill and, you know, I, I became a scoreboard artist right after you left. So I was really bummed that we didn't get to work together and I'm hoping that someday we'll get to work together again. And it's like, Oh, Hey, yeah, cool. All right. Uh, thanks. It, you know, it, it was kind of brief and, you know, he had other things to do, uh, but I was glad I was able to at least meet him and, and share that with him that I was like, you know, I, I'm a huge fan. I really wish that we'd been able to work together. I was sorry that we didn't get the opportunity to, but maybe someday, maybe someday. And, you know, hasn't happened yet, but uh, maybe someday down the line. And uh, yeah, Iron Giant, such a fantastic movie. The Incredibles is uh, uh, Ratatouille. They're all amazing movies. Um, yeah, he's he's just uh, he's, a, he's just a, an amazing talent, and and uh, yeah, I, I I do hope that someday I'll be able to to, to work with him. Um, uh, I know that he you know he moved into live action. He did uh, you know the one of those the Mission Impossible movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly don't know what he's doing these days. I don't know what to. Uh, I think he's doing Ray Gun next. I think he's trying to work, uh, trying to get Ray Gun done. Oh. So I think that was something he was trying to do before Giant, or maybe after Giant. But I know yeah. <clears throat> he's worked on it after forever. Giant. Yeah, after Giant, it went uh, Incredibles, and then Ratatouille, and then there was a couple other things, either post or pre in between there. So I mean, the guys, the guy is brilliant. Like I said, when it comes to when it comes to directing, animating, creating, or anything like that, I mean, he's up there with Gendy. Those two, probably my favorite of all time. I'm a huge Gendy yeah. fan. Um, but yeah, so those were uh, those were those were some of the names. Like I said, we had already talked Mike and Greg and Wes and 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 uh, Ian was a name that I always like to talk about when we can. Um, before we rotate in the last couple here. Um, I figured because we didn't get to really talk too much characters because we kind of nerded out on the episodes and fanned out about the show. And, you know, I talked yeah. way too much. But <laughs> the two or not two characters, excuse me. Is there any characters that you when you were doing the show or working on the show that you felt like working with them or drawing them or slipping into them felt like a comfortable pair of shoes, if that makes any sense? Were there any of them that stuck out that just felt right when you when you were drawing them? Before I uh, answer that question, I just want to circle back to one more. Uh, when we took a break, I, I uh, had had another thought about Clay uh, and mm-hmm. and Brad Bird as well, um, because um, it wasn't Iron Giant that Clay worked on. It was the Family Dog. I don't okay. know if you have you seen that. Uh, I don't that... think so. Oh man, you should you should look it up. Um, it was down. on. It was originally on Amazing Stories, which was kind of like um, it was a show in the. I, I think it's being made again now uh but it was a spielberg show that was kind of like part twilight zone part uh like each episode had its own story and world and fantastical thing that happens mm-hmm. but they had they had this episode that was um directed by brad bird uh and it, it was something that i captured on vhs when it aired you know back in the day and then i would just watch over and over again just because i loved yeah. it and it really great um 
just just great stuff beautifully animated and um there were a couple guys who who were on king of the hill who worked on that that short but um so when i heard about brad bird i knew him from that and when i found out that clay worked on it as well it's like oh these guys are yeah. fantastic i get to work with these Visioners. guys yeah this this uh stuff from my childhood that that meant a lot to me when i when i saw it um but uh anyway back to the to uh, uh characters that felt like slipping on i i guess um each well the, the characters that that i enjoyed the most like uh, i enjoyed uh, cotton and and dale as like like mm-hmm. you're saying um it's just because they were so much fun and they were just really fun to animate um i loved john redcorn um yeah. you know just because he, he his whole story was really a lot of fun and you know uh, he always had the mystical wind blowing his hair yeah. as he's <laughs> and stuff and, and he he'd ride up and there'd be like you know foreigner playing on the on his uh, on his jeep uh, stereo. Um, uh, I loved I loved Hank and I loved Boomhauer. I loved Bobby. Um, I, part of the reason why I loved um, Bobby and Hank is just you know they they were kind of awkward characters. And, you know, like uh, Hank is perpetually uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> in all situations. And uh, I kind of, uh, you know, I could identify with, with with Hank a little bit. And and Bobby's, you know, as a young, awkward kid. And, you know, um, I enjoyed, uh, you know, drawing him, uh, even though he's got this weird shaped head. He, I, I found him to be a difficult character to kind of get a handle on just because his head is such a, a weird shape. Um and especially in the first season where it had lumps and in, in weird, yeah. know, weird places. Um, but uh, I think that I always, I, I always had a lot of fun drawing Cotton just because he was so over the top and, you know, so, you know, part of his humor was that he's so offensive and, you know, mm-hmm. he's just a great, great, funny, funny guy. And, uh, you know, my grandfather, my, my, my dad's dad, he wasn't an offensive guy, but he he uh, he had an outrageous sense of humor too. So I kind of you know I would channel my grandfather a little bit when I would draw uh, cotton. Yeah. And, um, uh, but and and also uh, you know th- th- that kind of awkward thing that I was mentioning earlier uh, kind of applied to Luann too, because Luann was kind of an awkward character who kind of you know um, you know like like we were talking about. Uh, with Wings of the Dope, where she, uh, you know, was being picked on by the Mean Girls, and she's trying to navigate what she wants in her life and stuff. And um, so I kind of, and of course, the you know, the 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 my crush on Brittany Murphy, you know, <laughs> <I'll be connected. laughs> that had a little to do with it. <laughs> yeah, a little, yeah, yeah, a little something. Uh, so, but you know, also like you were mentioning earlier, earlier, just all these characters were written with so much heart and even if you know we had a ridiculous character like dale or or, or um or cotton um there was also a, a core humanity to them that you could you could identify with and maybe you know cotton was you know saying some misogynist thing that you didn't actually believe in and you're kind of laughing at his outrageousness um he you know the next moment he would have a he would have a heartfelt real moment and you know mm-hmm. that you could really identify with and um so there were a lot of characters that I, you know, I, I really enjoyed animating and I could kind of inhabit and, and uh, you know, 
<laughs> something you said earlier about people hating on Peggy. Um, I, I always enjoyed Peggy uh, in, in terms of like being animating her. Uh, but I'll be honest that, that over time I kind of grew to hate Peggy myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah just only because like, she, I, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, I probably should be admitting it, but it, you know, like over time, I think they, they kind of made her character more and more, um, egotistical, you know, mm-hmm. like she, she had this vulnerability, um, that was kind of covered by her, uh, overconfidence. You know, and and um, over time, I think that overconfidence and that kind of you know uh, that aspect of her personality kind of came to the forefront, and um, I think over time it got on my nerves. Uh, you know, as as a, as an animator listening to yeah. to over and over in my headphones as I'm listening to these you know these these tapes, and um, you know I I don't still feel that way. You know, but at, at the, I remember at the time being like, oh fucking fucking Peggy. I, <laughs> It's starting to hate you, Peggy. <laughs> What's your favorite Peggyism? Um, I guess just her, her being. Oh yeah, oh yeah. She's yeah. always, she's always, <laughs> she's always gung ho and ready to go. And um, you know, like I said, looking back on it, I, 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 uh, I like and appreciate Peggy a whole lot more than I than I grew to at the time. You know, at the time I kind of grew to dislike the, the character. Um, and you know, that's not to say that I, I didn't enjoy drawing her and enjoy getting her acting and stuff uh um she was a fun character and i loved drawing her hair you know she had that big hair with the big uh the the uh the bangs in the front and uh and i loved the 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 voice actress uh, you know it was just it was, it was, yeah I, I was completely blanking her name um you know she was always fantastic um mm-hmm. uh <clears throat> but uh but yeah so even though I grew to dislike her, I still enjoyed drawing her and still enjoyed yeah. animating her because even though, you know, like I said, I had these feelings about the character, I could also identify with with her as well because, you know, like I said, she had this this overconfidence on, the, uh, on a surface layer, but she was also kind of hiding her insecurities and, and, and you know, her, her shortcomings underneath. Uh, and that's something that I, you know, could identify with and and kind of uh, um, get into as I'm inhabiting the emotions and the acting of the of her character. Uh, yeah, well, but, very well, very well articulated, man. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it, it, and that's kind of for me always been the key to uh, any character that I'm animating. And and another reason that I've been very fortunate is 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 uh, all the shows that I've worked, uh, you know, had the good fortune to to work on have had such talented writers and, and had such talented people working on it that um, it's, it, it makes it easy. It makes it easy for me to, to get into the characters and most of the shows that I've worked on have, have a lot of heart as well as being super funny and outrageous. And, you know, uh, so you can get, I could, I could sink my teeth into the comedy aspects of it, but then they have this core goodness and this core heart to it mm-hmm. that, uh, um, makes me feel very fortunate uh for for the shows that i've been able to work on and the characters i've been able to portray and draw and be and you know just being a part of these these projects has been uh yeah it's it's been it's been a lot of fun and i feel very fortunate oh man we're <laughs> fortunate as well man uh when i think of when i think of uh the peggyisms man it's uh escuchame 
And then any time that she would enunciate words in Spanish, like the first one, and I don't know why, maybe it's, I think it's like the first couple episodes. Um, it's the episode where uh, it's Bobby's birthday. He doesn't want to invite Cotton over and he calls, you know, he has to call his grandfather. Um, you know, the the birthday invitation gets sent back because there's he sends it to hell, Texas. Um yeah. But uh, the, the one, the one, like I said, the one word that she, uh, like any any of the Spanish words where she tries to enunciate correctly, and most of the time she fucks up, is uh, pinata. So whenever she would say pinata, it was just like it, it's always like whenever I hear the term pinata, it's always ingrained in here. And there's yeah. a few lines that I use uh, on a regular basis throughout my day to days. Um, you know, I'll, I'll use I don't know you. That's my purse at least once or twice a week. Um, sh -sh -sh -sh, I use as much as I possibly can. Pocket sand is another one. You know, there's so many lines from this series that I absolutely love. Shin jelly. I didn't know that was a thing. I don't I still don't think it's a thing. Um, you know, Nazis, I, I would call them Nazis, you know, when I was learning about them and shit through school and reading books and stuff. But anytime it's like calling Vietnam, you just got to call it Nam. It's the same thing with Nazis. You got to call them Nazis because that's what Cotton did. You yeah. know, it, it's just there. there's so many things that I draw from from the show. And like I said, it's just so much soul. There's so much wholesomeness to this show. Um, you know, uh, as we as we end this chat and then rotate into the next one, when this might be philosophical, it might be too deep. I don't know. We'll see how it goes, Paul. We'll let you answer this question, man. Because uh, you were there, you worked on it through the heyday of this uh, this series. But when you take a look, or when you take a step back, and you remove yourself from the uh, the equation, and you just look at the term King of the Hill, or you think about King of the Hill, right? And then you take that one step further, and you say, you helped create this world. You helped grow these characters. When you think of King of the Hill and everything you've done, man, what are some of the first thoughts, you know, first memories, or just, like, how would you encapsulate King of the Hill? If I were to ask you what King of the Hill means to you, what would you say? Um, it means a, a couple different things on a couple different levels. Uh, the first is the just the broader phenomenon of King of the Hill itself. You know, this this thirteen season show that that um, was just so well written and has a, a place in the American cultural lexicon that mm -hmm. that uh, really uh, you know touched a lot of people, meant a lot of a lot to a lot of people, and and um. um you know, to this day, uh, a lot of people who are animation fans as well as just, you know, good, good uh, TV fans mention that as one of their favorite shows. And it's 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 amazing to me that I was a part of that and that um, it has it, it meant so much to so many people. So there's there's that that level of it, um, which is amazing to me. Um and uh, then there's the other level to it, which was that it was my the first show that I worked on uh, professionally. It was my first job out of college, my first professional job out of college. Um, and um, like I said earlier, it was a springboard for so many of my uh, colleagues uh, coming up. You know, I came up uh, doing that show. They they came up doing that show. A lot of them, it was their first professional job, too. And uh, just the the uh, you know the experiences that we had, the camaraderie that we had, all the the blood, sweat, and tears that we poured into it, and 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 um, 
you know, the, the stuff behind the scenes that you don't know about, um, you know, that, that go into those shows and all the time we spent together and, you know, we, we became a family, um, you know, all those, those guys and all the times that we went through and, you know, all, all the things that people have gone on to do after King of the Hill, um, the amazing careers that so many of us have had, uh, after that, um, you know, so you, you have the macro level of, of King of the Hill itself as this entity and this, this phenomenon. But then I have this other, you know, everyday life minutia, you know, um, work and life mm-hmm. memories that, that go along with that. And uh, so so I, I think of both of those things when I think about about King of the Hill. And, uh, you know, it, it gave me a great foundation uh, for my career. It gave me, you know, uh, I went to Rhode Island School of Design for uh, for college as an illustration major and I, I took uh, my animation classes there too, but uh, it was an experimental animation department. Um, so they, you know, they basically taught you how to use the camera mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and, and kind of the basics of the fundamentals of the mechanics of animation. And we saw a lot of uh, independent films and, and a lot of uh, animated shorts and, you know, international uh foreign um animation shorts and stuff so we got exposed to a lot of really cool stuff but learning the art of animation is something that we didn't really learn or at least i didn't really learn uh while i was there um and it was you know it was a small group of us it was like maybe 15 of us um at RISD at the time uh in the animation department then it was an even smaller group of us who wanted to do character animation or or narrative-based animation um one of them was Seth McFarlane. I went to, to school with him um, and took all my classes with, you know, animation classes with him and a bunch of my illustration classes. Uh, so he was one of the guys who was interested in, in character-based stuff. And uh, I was and a, and a few a handful of other guys. Um, but we basically kind of had to teach ourselves how to, yeah. how to do character animation, um, which is all a, a long roundabout way of saying that when I got to King of the Hill, I learned how to be an animator. I learned mm-hmm. how to, uh, I learned uh, how TV animation works, and I learned um, about uh, perspective. You know, I, I didn't know how to how to, how to draw in perspective. Um, you know, I really cut my teeth in the industry on that show, and that show, and all my talented colleagues that I got to work with, taught me so much and laid the foundation for for uh, me as an artist, me as an animator and me as an animation career professional uh so it was, a, it was a really foundational show um for me personally so um when i think about king of the hill i think about uh you know me getting my start and and all all the experiences i had with my co- talented colleagues uh coming up together and, and learning together and having fun together and you know doing the long nights together and working weekends yeah. together you know all that sort of stuff so a lot of memories attached to that. Beautiful, man. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be uh, part one of two parts here, and I'm pretty sure we can get part three, four, five, six, and seven out of this one too because Paul's <laughs> done some really cool shit over his career. Uh, but this one's going to conclude for now, King of the Hill. Uh, jump back on next week for part two. He's been Paul. I've been Julian. It's been a What's My Head podcast, and this has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. <laughs>